great Canadian talk show. Well, here's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the west side of campus. No way! Yes way! And now, let's get right down to business with Marty Gold. Welcome to the Great Canadian Talk Show. Uh, as we are now episode 20 in our podcast series covering the 2022 Winnipeg. Are you Super sure about Lodge. that? Are you sure? Yeah, about I double, that? I triple checked. I went back into actually the the formatting of the last podcast to double check the numbers at the bottom to make sure. And and since we've decided everything, even the special, um, the the special uh, edition podcasts are are part of the numerical sequence, then this is now number 20. Seriously, and all the podcasts are equal, no matter what day they drop at. Just yes, just like a stabbing in the <laughs> eyes of police chief Daddy Smite. They are, they are. Well, some are more equal than others. The uh, the, the 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 previous podcast that that I put out, uh, uh, it was a solo effort uh, because uh, that's the way it is sometimes. Uh, I had access to the microphone. Kenny didn't. I laid down 16 or so minutes about the CBC story about uh, Glenn Murray's misadventures at the Pemina Institute in Alberta. Uh, the you, we'll put a link in uh, and and we'll refer to it again later. But uh, we're, this one is number 20. The last one, did CBC spoil Glenn Murray's birthday with uh, Pemina Institute surprise? Uh, I'm surprised nobody had reported the election falls on Glenn Murray's birthday. I I, I don't yeah. know why Murray himself had mentioned it. I mentioned that podcast. I was like, I know you were shocked. Do you think that, that you he saw that date and he was like, oh, boy, this is going to be my best birthday ever? <laughs> He might have thought that, but may not be working in that direction for him at the present. Anyways, uh, CBC dropping um, very well-researched and heavily lawyered uh, story uh, last week. And, of course, we had talked about that earlier in the campaign. I don't want to belabor the point. Uh, uh, you can go to the podcast, read the description, see what my comments were, listen to it, and see it, whether uh, that analysis. The media has done a very poor job of explaining even what went on. Um, which I suppose, Kenny, we can circle back to later. But I try to straighten it out. I've gotten a lot of compliments with regards to that. Uh, there's been a lot of, uh, of how do I put this? There's been reaction because, uh, you know, like the media didn't showcase certain facts that had emerged in the CBC story. Like there's just so much in there. So to me, it was an important fact that four people had quit the Institute because that's your evidence of a toxic workplace. For instance, that's not just people talking, oh, it's miserable around here. Uh, and, and it was, I guess, after the four people quit that the employees had banded together to go to the board with regards to their problems with Glenn Murray as, uh, as uh, the head honcho. Uh, and and that really got, you know, like Marilee Caruso, uh, you know, her newscast on Friday, I guess, was like as primitive as could be, uh, <laughs> like Marilee Caruso. It, it just it it. it it just glossed over things and that's a disservice to, to the voters. It's a disservice really to Glenn Murray as well. People should understand the scope of what he's, of what went on and the scope of what he's apologizing for. Uh, so anyways, you can check our podcast out. Oh, he apologized. Uh, oh. Well, Tom Broadbeck wasn't very accepting. Of Who did apology. he apologize to? Like the people that quit? I, I, that's a good point, I Kenny. I, I, I don't think there was any acknowledgement that people had quit, just that his management style was a poor fit. And no, I, it, it was, a, it was, a, it was a 
Broadbeck called it a weak apology, and it was a very weak apology. He was a half hour late to his own press conference. He didn't take any questions after. Uh, you can see the pictures of the people in the room. Listen, I was at the Trudeau press conference the day after the blackface photos hit, and it happened to be in Winnipeg and happened to be in uh, 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 Old Market Square, right? Yeah. And uh, by no means did Glenn Murray reach Justin Trudeau levels of mea culpa or apology or or anything. I mean, no, it was. Thank, thank goodness for that. Pardon me? That, well, thank goodness, thank goodness we for that. There, we would have been there all day. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I, I want to open the program. Um, and here's a good chance for me to actually, whoops, open up a, a drawer here and get out a piece of paper because I'm out of spare paper to write notes on as we go through the the taping here. One second. Yeah. People can hear. I'm actually shuffling around real paper. Oh, my okay, gosh. Okay, I've got it here. I want to open the broadcast today the broadcast of the podcast by talking about a friend of this of, of the work that we've done the work that i've done both on kick fm on shot tv uh dr tim ball passed away i was alerted by uh one of our very faithful uh viewers and listeners uh for the past 15 years tim ball was a friend of the great canadian talk show tim ball was a professor at the university of winnipeg he was very brave he called bullshit on a lot of the climate science hysteria early on. I uh, I was I found out that Tim, and I knew that Tim had been in ill health for a number of years. He had moved to the West Coast around 10, 10 12 years ago. Uh, Mark Stein wrote a column, steinonline.com, uh, of the, his rage at the, the news from, from Marty Bell that uh, her husband, that Tim, had passed away. And I've, I've had... Not about this, but I've heard from Marty Bell, but she handled Tim's communications. Uh, and Mark Stein describes how Tim was a Canadian scientist who dissented from the global warm global warm mongering that has deranged our politics and put the lights out of the Eiffel Tower is on a course this winter to freeze and starve Europe's elderly. In the course of his pushback, Tim reprised an ancient Pennsylvania jest, Pennsylvanian jest, and applied it to the creator of the famously dodgy global warming hockey stick, Michael E. Mann. Dr. Mann, he remarked, did not belong at Penn State, but in the state Penn. Uh, the warmatola, meaning Michael Mann, completely discredited uh, crackpot, uh, determined to destroy a retired University of Winnipeg professor. He filed suit against Ball in British Columbia. The short story is three years ago, Mann lost the case for failing to prosecute. It was the same as Stein's his suit against Stein in the District of Columbia, where he refuses to settle or do the things necessary to move forward a case. Meanwhile, people are paying for lawyers. Uh, and and in this case, Timball won the case but couldn't collect. And he had put out a, a, a ridiculous amount of money, uh, even though the legal bills should be paid by the loser. Costs follow the event. Um, Roger McConchie, man's counsel, accepted his client's liability for Dr. Ball's expense. He had said, uh, uh, cost follow the event. I have no quarrel with that. Uh, Tim Ball's retirement savings and his health have been drained and depleted, wrote Mark Stein by a decade. A man's frivolous, dil dil dilatory, dilatorious, I guess, dilatory li uh, litigation. He was broke in both body and bank account. Uh, Tim should have been paid a seven-figure sum, and instead the family had to fundraise through GoFundMe to be able to uh, cover the cost of a modest burial. And so I want to pay tribute to... Dr. Ball, who was very generous with his time, who explained, and I want to mention Rick Baverstock, the uh, di station director at Kick FM, was, and you'll remember this, Kenny, mm -hmm. uh, he was entirely supportive of challenging some of this lunacy 
that was under the name of saving the planet, the idea of switching corn to uh, ethanol and away from, this was the first story we really covered in this was, was they switched uh, corn crops to use for fuel. And the next thing you know, people in Northern Mexico couldn't afford their basics of their, their staples of their diet because tortillas became too expensive. And so we caught on early on that some of this just made no sense. Dr. Timball was on our program a number of times. I received correspondence from him over the years. I couldn't fit him into the, the next round of podcasts because I, we didn't do any interviews in, in the, the, when we uh, uh, reconstituted as a podcast. And then even the TV show, uh, he never came back to Winnipeg. I could, so I could not interview him, get him into the Shaw studio. Um, but he was generous with his time. He was generous with his knowledge. Uh, he stood up to bullies. We're going to include a link uh, to a lecture of Dr. Balls for his book and documentary, The Deliberate Corruption of Climate Science. And certainly, uh, I'm not, we're not big on thoughts and prayers, but um, it's very sad to learn. Tim Ball was a brilliant guy and, and, and not only meant well, but did good. And the harassment that he took from the climate cultists, from the woke crowd, was just, uh, uh, it was a mystery to him because he came from the world of academia. He came from a world of, of vigorous but um, coherent debate. And he was, he was just jumped on by jackals. And again, uh, if you ever see the name Michael Mann ever referenced anywhere, ever, or any of his work, you can know that Tim Ball from the University of Winnipeg, he ripped this guy to shreds. He shredded him in court and, and suffered the consequences for being a strong man, for being a strong scientist, and for doing the right thing. And in that regard, we want to make sure that all of you know that we've acknowledged. And, and, and when you ever hear the name Tim Ball come up and somebody says something untoward or unfair about him, and many people tried to, and they all failed because you could not convince anyone that Tim Ball did not know what he was talking about, about climate, so-called climate science, uh, about what was man-made, and that was a big thing that Ball was on, is what was man-made and what was cyclical in, in, in nature, or of nature, uh, in, uh, in weather, and, uh, and he should always be remembered as, as Mark Stein described, uh, 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 the last time he had seen him was at a, uh, uh, the Commonwealth Wallace, he put it, the UK, Canuck, Oz, uh, Australia, and Kiwi, New Zealand, had been seated together, presumably so the Yanks didn't have to risk being exposed to some unfortunate social faux pas, like an accidental loyal toast. Despite being visibly ground down by man's frivolous litigation, Tim was in grand form that night, full of life and full of laughs. He had all the qualities of a true warrior, courage, integrity, indomitable resilience, and in his quiet, dignified bearing, a rueful acceptance of the costs they impose. And so I wanted to, to make note of a friend of this program, of Dr. Tim Ball, uh, and his passing, and obviously our condolences to, uh, to his wife, Marty, and to his family and his colleagues as well. So I, I, uh, now that we've done that, uh, Kenny, I don't know that you necessarily have anything to add. Maybe we can swing into the uh, council, the council and mayoral uh, election details. We're not going to be doing anything about trustees this week. All right, let's do it. No school okay, trustees? Trustees next week. Trustees <laughs> next week, because there's a report coming out later this week that is going to try to influence trustees in uh, school board policy. Uh, that report's scheduled for Thursday, and so we'll pick up on that next week on the program. Now, normally we do council updates. I've seen some signs around town uh, and and uh, of different candidates, uh, and one who's uh, a sign. I just want to mention this one because I, I haven't. Um, 
I didn't like take a picture of this and send it to Kenny and God knows nobody has a, a working scanner anymore. Uh, <laughs> but, but one of the candidates for instance, St. Boniface, uh, Councillor Lard being uh, faced, uh, facing two opponents, uh, Nicholas, was it Duclaeus, I think was his name. I don't have it right in front of me. And we've, we've early on asked to speak with Nick. He's associated um, uh, with Helios Restaurant on St. Mary's Road up by the 7-Eleven of the Red Top. Uh, never have gotten a hold of him, but I got a flyer from a candidate named, and I believe it's the last name is pronounced correctly, Marcel Boyley, B-O-I-L-L-E. Pretty sure that's pronounced Boyley. Okay. Um, not Boyle, Boyley. Uh, so here's what's in his flyer. I'm going to run this past you. And he's a very particular kind of, um, uh, again, a uh, uh, particular kind of candidate, not a conventional political candidate. And so his flyer gives his background, uh, born in St. Cloud, Manitoba, uh, where once upon a time <laughs> I produced a, a wrestling pilot for MTN television that was actually pretty darn good and established oh, wow. Cayman Broda as a baby face. That was like Cayman Broda became a baby face was, <laughs> was that card. Uh, and really, the, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, that card meant a lot to the guys in Winnipeg because, among other things, it, it established that Chi Cruz had the potential to be a WWF-level star in this business. Uh, right. So he's from St. Cloud and a bilingual resident of St. Boniface for 45 years, contractor for 40 years, 31 years as a realtor. You see his name in, involved in different things. He's certainly opinionated online, board of directors of the Notre Dame Recreation Center, a member of the KFC, Knights of Columbus, since 2000. So can you see which of these themes sound familiar? Oh, nice of Columbus. Let's, uh, yeah, let's uh, see what this guy's all about. Okay. The first thing in his pamphlet, in his flyer, the forced amalgamation of St. Boniface with the city of Winnipeg was another failed government experiment. Winnipeg gained while all other municipalities lost more than they gained. Is... I have to tell you that <laughs> now I've made that argument about River Heights in particular. Winnipeg gained. Winnipeg gained, the city of Winnipeg gained when they took in all these municipalities. But all the other municipalities, he's running for a school trustee? No, he's running for city council against Mount Oh, Lord. okay, sorry. All right, sorry, sorry. All right. After 50 years of St. Boniface residents and businesses, uh, after 50 years of St. Boniface residents and businesses have paid millions, if not billions, in taxes, you need an editor there. What do we have to show for it? Downtown Winnipeg has billions spent on roads, portage place, underground shopping, bicycle lanes, an arena in the forks, during which time the city has done next to nothing for our areas. The majority of our tax dollars for emergency police services that we all pay for are used in the downtown area, leaving the WPS unable to deal with all the property crimes in our communities. We talk safety, but address, but I guess he meant don't address it, by turning it into money generators. Yeah, I mean, maybe he hasn't been downtown in a while, but like that underground shopping is just uh, in a poor state of affairs. So, I mean, that's not the jewel. No, that he's he complaining that they he's complaining they've taken tax money from St. Boniface and spent it downtown. He's actually you're actually proving his point. He then goes on to say almost all streets in Windsor Park and Southdale, and I almost fell off my chair when I read this. Although I know it's true, have exceeded their original lifespan with taxpayers paying renewal fees for 60 years with little to no work done. Not quite positive how accurate or not accurate that is but it's probably got a ring of truth to it the million dollar question is where is all the money that you have paid where is all that money you have paid is how he puts it where, in the where last, is it in the last 20 years he says no counselor has looked after the best interests of saint boniface who so he's talking about <laughs> franco magnifico he's talking about danny vandell he's talking about Matt Allard. okay 
Yeah, it appears so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Our counselors have been helping the city of Winnipeg turn St. Boniface from a family-oriented community and turn it into Winnipeg's bedroom community. How do you do that, says Marcel Boyley. Close down the community (laughs) swimming pools like in Norwood. Let the roads fall apart so that they will leave, meaning residents leave. And the city can subdivide the lots to build two homes and double the tax revenue. Families are moving to rural areas to enjoy bigger lots that the city does not want anyone to have. Simply said, all residents of St. Bonifacio have lost the right to decide what to do with their communities. Now, that he's talking about this lot splitting business. I, I know that's true because uh, off de Muron in uh, Old St. Patel, uh, the Old St. Patel part of St. Boniface, uh, I guess is how it is. Uh, you know, if an infill, if you've gone along with an infill or two around your house, around your street, they point to that as precedent and say, well, you can't oppose this other one, which, of course, just completely you know, that's nonsense. But that's typical of the city of Winnipeg bureaucracy. Um, he makes the point elected officials are your employees there to provide you the services you cannot do individually and they are not your boss. Are you tired of hard work and paying high taxes only to see little to no value for your taxes? I know I am. So here's Marcel Boyley in St. Boniface making a point that that is pretty significant in my estimation in that people that are old enough to remember what before Unicity or comprehend what the city was like. East Kildonan, Transcona, River Heights, St. Boniface, St. James. When you live in those neighborhoods, there's no question your services have gone down, right? Oh, yeah. They have. So he gives then his his vision of, of what would happen if he was council, uh, a councillor. His first act at City Hall will be, to, will be to advise the city council. that The good people of St. Boniface will no longer be treated as second-class citizens and unless we get a much better deal. Within 18 months, we will hold a referendum to leave the city of Winnipeg. <laughs> so this guy—I I mean, he had me up until the referendum. But you, but you're, you see, you're <laughs> laughing. But Kenny, what happened in Headingley in 1993? They seceded from the city of Winnipeg. Yeah, but Headingley is not in Winnipeg. Saint Boniface is in the middle of Winnipeg. That's right. So, so he says St. Boniface is unique. We successfully exist before the city of Winnipeg. His proposal is certainly unique, as Kenny concurs. Uh, he has I mean, a number. He has, of, he has a good idea, like infrastructure and security. Like, like that's that's uh, that's the only thing I really want to see. But yeah, other his, than that, his last point, and he he he, for instance, would abolish photo radar, red light cameras, make sure there's flashing lights in school zones, uh, policing will serve and protect, not just observe and collect, uh, <laughs> encourage homeowners and landlords to fix up, fix their homes by phasing in assessments and tax increases, increases over a four-year period. Um, th- that differs from, for instance, Jenny Motkluck, who won't, who will um, internally, uh, the assessment will go up, but there'll be some sort of a of a of a an internal uh, tax credit so that your property taxes don't go up. He'll phase them in after four years. Montclair's plan wouldn't phase in uh, hiked assessments for fixing up your, your building a garage or or fixing your home up or whatever. Uh, wouldn't at all. So he's he's halfway to Montclair's proposal. But his last point. Last two points, a city where after living in a home under five hundred thousand for over 40 years. Property taxes will be capped at $600 per year. <laughs> well, here's the rationale, Kenny. I hear you giggling. Oh, if you've, you've lived in a house for 40 years, you pay taxes for four, for 40 years. Why are you paying $2,800 or for $4,000 in taxes? And some house that's more newly built in St. Vital or some other, their transcode or wherever, 
you're paying the same taxes they are, but you've been paying taxes for 40 years. So I, I see what he, the sentiment he's trying to capitalize on. I because don't know how it's, he, you got to pay taxes all the time. What was that, Kenny? You got to pay taxes all the time. That doesn't make sense. He's not saying they don't pay taxes. He's saying he would cap it at 600 a year. And I'll tell you the idea of property taxes being capped for certain pro- properties in certain neighborhoods, certain kinds of assessments. I've heard that kicked around, not really in this campaign. This isn't an unknown kind of thing. Yeah. Like so, low income, I can see it. Older, anyways, older so resident. now let's – so here we have Marcel Boily, and he's he's essentially running in St. Boniface as the St. Boniface separatist, right? Mm-hmm. He's a separatist. He's saying, give us a, a better <laughs> deal or we're leaving. Yeah. So here he is criticizing the city, and that's a lot of – I mean, they, he's saying you're not getting your money's worth. City Hall's not working for you. Uh, people could say he's a gadfly. They could say there's a lot of, you know, different adjectives. He's not somebody who's seen as having a, you know, the kind of campaign organization necessary to, to win an election. Well, is his flyer, is his flyer black and white or color? No, it's color. Oh, I'll see. Hold on. I'll I'll tell you how many colors. Well, it's a color picture of him with flowers, pink flowers and yellow flowers behind him. So it's a multicolored. And the flip side is in French and it's in the same colors. So he has it all together. So I'm, I, I, he raises issues that are important in my mind because when you have this, you know, these same bottoms of a, a bellwether, okay? And he's criticizing the city openly and criticizing the counselors, just to, you know, just shoot from the hip. Um, so here's the city that's crappy, and you have some people running for mayor. We're going to pivot now from council to, to the mayoralty race and this will probably end up being in two parts and we will get to a, a crime recap as well because we had two more murders and they're significant this weekend yeah. it wasn't me uh, i know that it wasn't me. so you have some counts some candidates criticizing the mayor some are critics of mayor bowman uh on count one was critical of mayor bowman uh, uh for instance kevin klein on council uh uh jenny motflex certainly has no love for what Mayor, Mayor Bowman, what his reign has done for the city. Then you have, uh, for instance, Rana Bakari said she would, uh, she loved Mayor Bowman, would not criticize him. And Glenn Murray won't criticize uh, Mayor Bowman, and neither will Scott Gillingham. Gillingham, for obvious reasons, he's part of Team Bowman. Glenn Murray praised Bowman, you know, on the way out. And yet, and we've talked about this on the program, Glenn Murray talks about how Winnipeg is terrible. And Gail Asper endorses Glenn Murray because Winnipeg is so violent and awful and you there's garbage everywhere and vote for Glenn Murray. Who endorsed Brian Bowman in 2018? And not any of the other candidates, not Jenny Mockluck or anybody else. Who endorsed Brian Bowman? Glenn Murray moved back to Winnipeg from the Pemini Institute two weeks after being fired. And he says, ah, I, you know, I'm back, back again. Surprise. Vote for Glenn. <laughs> well, no, don't vote for Glenn. Vote for Brian. Because yeah. I'm not running. I'm out of politics, but wait four years. And Gail Asper's like, vote for Bowman. So he praises Brian Bowman on his way out. Everybody's praising Brian Bowman on the way out. You know, Well, he did such a great job. Do you I mean, know the, why road, Kenny the roads Ray- are paved with gold. People are singing in the streets. Kenny, I heard you, there's not going to be a winter. Kenny, did you pull the uh, audio, that short audio that I sent you earlier, that tweet from uh, that yeah. had video? It was a global TV tweet with yeah. a brief 10-second clip of Mayor Bowman at the beginning of the campaign. Can you play that audio for the audience right now? Here's Mayor Brian Bowman, according to Global News, a clip from a press conference the day Glenn Murray 
uh, announced he was entering the race for mayor. Um, I'm not planning to endorse anyone at, at this stage. You know, we'll, we'll see as the campaign goes on, though. I wouldn't rule it out. So there you hear, and if you could see this, you'd see the look on Bowman's face. And you heard that pregnant, can you use the word pregnant? Pause. I mean, why not? Why not? Things got pregnant. Waited, and then he sort of ruefully kind of looked at the camera. And, eh, I wouldn't rule it out. Hmm. <laughs> it's, like he's waiting, it's like he's waiting for like some, some payoff. <laughs> I'm not endorsing anyone yet. Wink, wink. So I'm now. Not that's happening, but. I get that. But what is happening is now you see why Glenn Murray, who tells you how Winnipeg is a shithole, how everything's wrong. And God knows, in again, his policies, the Mart merge, the parking authority with center venture and give center venture more power when center venture should be completely bulldozed. And the Winnipeg housing authority, which should be bulldozed. And we'll get to what he's what else he said in a second. Here he is. Not criticizing Brian Bowman, not taking responsibility for endorsing Brian Bowman and saying the city's crappy, but he doesn't want to actually blame the person. <laughs> how do you do how do you do that? How can you not blame the mayor for the state of the city? It doesn't, because it doesn't make in any Winnipeg, sense. Because in Winnipeg, Kenny, we had a saying, we had a there's a saying in Yiddish, I'll modify it here for this audience. This is the game they play of Lachen everybody's tochases. <laughs> which I think the Yiddish translates pretty easily to English for those of you that don't speak Yiddish. Well, I'm critical, but I'm not blaming you. Now, I don't know if that's called. It's not exactly passive aggressive. I, it's something. It's dishonest. And this is because Glenn Murray, will, and, and he's not alone in this in terms of politicians, career politicians. They pander to everybody. And so this uh, is part of it, right? Yeah, they try to. So let's look at, for instance, Thunderbird House. And we're going to go past. This is not just about Glenn Murray. So just stay with stay with the ride, folks. He there's a picture of him at this press conference in front of Thunderbird House at the corner of Maine and Higgins. There was so much in the original dream of Thunderbird House. Let's come together and build this beautiful beacon back to the glory it deserves. Let's restore Thunderbird House. He's blaming you for the failure of Thunderbird House. What the Winnipeg Sun headlines say? Murray vows to restore Thunderbird House. Suddenly. This, uh, you know, all designed by Douglas Cardinal and so beautiful. And when you compare the original pictures to what there is now, uh, it this is not salvageable, in my opinion. And I've known at least one board member from Thunderbird House and had these discussions. OK, the first problem is look where it's located. And as long as it's located in an area that gathers public people who are prone to engage in public disorder, OK, they can't even replace the copper because it's a specialized kind of copper. CBC in 2018 reported that the new Thunderbird House at the time, board co-chair Rochelle Scott said their woes were because their financial woes were because of hiring. Here's your quote, untrustworthy people and the failure of past board members to hold them accountable. Oh my. Now what happened? You're asking the executive director. I do not have a name on who this individual was at the time. And I did not have time to do that kind of digging. I apologize. The executive director, in 2014, 15, 16, arranged for a $40,000 loan for an air conditioning unit for the building that they didn't need. They defaulted. They weren't budgeted for it either. They defaulted on the loan. A lien was put on the building for $40,000. They had to pay it off. So here's Glenn Murray saying we should pay even more. Now, in 2012, uh, the uh, was, it, was it Kevin Hart? 
was the chair and said that the the province had the the Selinger government had pulled a two hundred thirty thousand dollar annual grant, and that they had to get off the government teeth, that they had to stop relying on government, and they had to be self sufficient. So this is ten years of failure with Thunderbird House, absolute failure. The responsibility is on the directors. If there is some, I don't want to say criminal wrongdoing, poor judgment, judgment that did not meet the standards that they had a right to expect as an employer. They failed to take action, and the new people that came in in 2018 said that the board was the previous board was wrong not to do it. So here you have an organization that has the best of intentions, a meeting place for the community, and 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 spirit and all this other stuff. And they've gotten breaks before from the city, just to be clear, because if I'm remembering correctly, because I think we we covered this uh, back in the day, I covered it. I don't know if you were around at the time, Kenny. Uh, Sam Cates. As mayor, he pushed through a tax break for Thunderbird House, the same tax break that churches and and houses of worship get, even though it is not a house of worship. They extended this to a place. It's a place of spirituality. It's spiritual, not religious. It's a very slippery slope to do it. I know that there was a lot of discussion at the time, but the city of Winnipeg, when Sam Cates was mayor, decided to already give them a tax break. Now, what has Brian Bowman done to save Thunderbird House? Sam gave them a religious exemption. What has Bowman done? Just asking. I haven't seen. Bought them an extra air conditioner. No, he didn't buy it. No, he didn't. But nice try. Okay, he didn't buy it for them. So here's Glenn Murray saying that that I mean he's career politicians have a bad habit that they will promise to spend money on anything to get themselves elected or reelected. He's promising to spend more taxpayers' money, like, and he's blaming the community. It's our fault. This is imagine if the museum was like this. It's not the flipping museum, dude. It's not a publicly owned building. And they have you their know own what? board that ran them aground. It's going they to be like failed. the library. Sorry. Yeah. It's going to be like the library is open 24/7. Well, sure. Another one of those promises. He wants to pump money into the black hole. Now, on the other hand, as I learned from Winnipeg Free Press profile of the candidates. Uh, Robert Falconlet, for instance, he'll have his office housed inside Thunderbird House. So imagine this: that here is let's. I don't know what kind of rent he thinks he would pay. Uh, uh, I don't know what a fair rent would be. They were making sixty thousand in uh, rental revenue in 2018, which was surprising to me. They were making a thousand bucks a week renting it out for events and meetings, and uh, I don't know, like I don't know if they were having sweats there or whatever. Ouellette said that he would move the mayor's office inside Thunderbird House, call a massive meeting, invite everyone for, uh, from like <laughs> trustees and MLAs to gather for hours and sort out how to fix Winnipeg's homelessness crisis. Uh, he's got a lot of great ideas. There are a lot of social challenges related to poverty in our city, and that hasn't been addressed very well. If people are thinking of voting for me, they have to realize they're not going to get the average politician. So he... He want, I mean, the city would pay some sort of rent to Thunderbird House, so there again is a subsidy. I don't know that the mayor's office needs to be moved out of City Hall. I don't know if the mayor's office needs an auxiliary office at the corner of Higgins and Main, though I understand why to Ulet, who made the blatant pitch on Thursday in his eight-minute speech, and again, Kenny, I don't know if you saw that, where he basically said be, there's all these problems in the city relating to average, Aboriginal poverty and and and. Uh, um, and and social circumstances, maybe it's time to have an Aboriginal mayor who can figure out how to solve the problems. 
I, I know that if somebody ran and said, you know what, there's all this anti-Semitism in Winnipeg, why don't we elect a Jew as mayor? I don't think that would go very far. But the scope of the problem is different. It, it's an unusual approach. This is what Ouellette has tried. And again, looking for a certain kind of vote from a certain segment of the, of the electorate, he will house his uh, the mayor's office, if he is elected mayor, inside Thunderbird House. But you know, ultimately, as nutty as it sounds, Marcel Boily is is right. The taxpayers of St. Boniface see they're dropping tax dollars into the city of Winnipeg, and it's like a black hole. They aren't getting value for their daughter. There are neighborhoods here, bellwethers, that have suffered immeasurable harms under Brian Bowman. It, no right, doubt right. about it. Look at the quality of St. Boniface. The, the crime rate went up 92.9% in the first four years of Brian Bowman being mayor. We know it's gone up even higher since then. River Heights, just scandalous how you can't have a garage in River Heights without it being broken into. You can't have a car parked anywhere from from like Wellington Crescent to, to, to like, you know, uh, go to the other side, the other side there. Uh, you know, Lanark Bay up by Taylor without your property being at risk. And so these bellwethers neighborhoods, and I don't know that River Heights would separate or St. James would separate, but the people that have institutional memory of how their neighborhoods used to be, and they see what's happened in the last eight years under Brian Bowman. And here's Glenn Murray. Vote for Brian Bowman and won't criticize Bowman because he's dying, praying that he get, especially now, that he gets the endorsement from Brian Bowman. The, the problem with separating and like it's a ridiculous it's a ridiculous idea. But the problem with separating is that once you separate, there's no police force there. Well, then you contract or something. Right. right. And that really worked out well for East St. Paul. Oh, good point. Good point. So, you know, when you look at, at Thunderbird House, and again, this shows the difference between politicians who think in the box and out of the box and the and the the career politicians who think, you know, they open the box. There's just money that doesn't belong to them and they just start throwing it around. There was an announcement involving I think Kelvin Gertzen might have been premier at the time, but there was an announcement that was made a while ago and Gertzen was there and they had to, and some other public officials, uh, I think this was homelessness funding might've been for end homelessness, Winnipeg or something else. And they had to scramble to clean up the site before the politicians showed up. There's human excrement in like the, in front of the building, like on the, like in front of the doors, needles everywhere, garbage everywhere. For the used Glenn needles Murray, or, or brand new Glenn needles? Murray talks about how this is shameful and this is so bad and the city of Winnipeg should be ashamed of itself. Like, you're the ones who are dropping your used needles in front of Thunderbird House. Like, you're the ones who are stealing the copper. Like, you're the ones that's ripped off the wood, right? You fail to manage the problems. There's ne used needles all over Thunderbird House, all over the grounds, and it's it, and it's not a holy place. You see, it's not a religious place, but they talk about it like it is because they say it's desecrated. Okay, I understand it's important and culturally relevant, but it's it is not uh, a religious uh, it is not a a a, a religious uh, location. Uh, who allowed the disorder? Yeah, who, that's the who's that's responsible the for the need who's responsible for the needles not being picked up. Is WHA well not the WHA, not city council. No. Not Brian Bowman. God knows Glenn Marie isn't blaming Brian Bowman. You allow disorder, this is what happens. It grows and grows. And people are losing hope that the city's beyond saving. This is what 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 Marcel Boyley and others they're concerned about. They look to Headingley. And they say, well, why, why not us? The urban visionaries, the Bowmanites, the 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 Murrays of the world. And and there's other candidates that fit into that category. Uh, to, you know, look, Sean Loney is no fiscal conservative. Uh, they say, well, 
all that's happening is our quality of life is being reduced. And when you complain, you're called a bigot, you're called a NIMBY, you're called names. The idea we should be ashamed of the state of Thunderbird House, while it certainly, you know, it spins the light in the people who, who aren't at fault at all. But what happens in Winnipeg is you go along to get along. Telling the truth about Thunderbird House or, or Bowman doesn't come easily to, you know, politicians like Glenn Murray, because eventually you're going to come hat in hand to the mayor. And you're going to say, please give me a grant. Please give the organization that's hired me as a consultant a grant. Please uh, help this neighborhood that have asked me to be their ambassador to City Hall. Winnipeg's too small of a city to, to be able to tell the truth all the time. It's too small for somebody to be a rebel. Winnipeg's so small, Kenny, that even somebody as corporate, as formal, as, bo- as experienced in the boardroom as Kevin Klein is seen as rebellious. Because he actually has been known to call a spade a spade. Now, yeah. to his credit, unlike that's not, that's not that's not correct. Like, I don't see how he's rebellious with what he says. He's characterized as rebellious by the media because he dares to say things that nobody else says, even though if they aren't really rebellious. Yeah, I but guess that's cert- I guess that's my problem is I don't see him as being rebellious with what he's saying. No, but in Winnipeg, the media. The media and the mood in Winnipeg, the status quo is so um, it's so it's so stuck in the in 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 the, you know, the behaviors of Winnipeg. If somebody tells the truth, it's what, what were we like on radio, Kenny? Were we considered rebellious? Oh, yeah. Was my, Shaw TV, was my Shaw TV program considered rebellious? I mean, once you had that cow up there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, once there's the cow. a lot of. Now, to his credit, Kevin Klein said that told the free press the city's worth saving. And it was a story that was headline where the headline was campaign uh, set sights on combating crime. But it was actually part of a pile, 11 profiles of all the mayoral candidates. So I thought I'm reading a story about Klein and crime and I'm getting ready to move it into our crime folder you know, for, okay. for this uh, episode. And it's actually about other things. So. um and, and, and what Klein said was, it's not time to give up on the city. It's time to start fighting for our city. OK, so Klein, by saying that and, and I'm not saying he's wrong, but by saying that he has to convince the people that anybody from City Hall, including himself, is able to and willing to fight for this city. And that for any elected official, including Ouellette, who served in parliament, in people's minds, they blame politicians for the state of affairs, high taxation, inflation, unsafe streets potholes, you name it. One way or the other, they're going to blame anybody who's been elected anytime soon. Civics has nothing to do with inflation, but a lot to do with crime. Try that again, Kenny. Civics? No, you're wrong. Politicians? You're wrong. You're you're wrong. If the city... Well, okay. The city raises property taxes. Is that not inflationary? If city increases fees for your kids to, for your kid to use civic facilities, that's inflationary. So the city does impact inflation. Oh, I guess, yeah. It it does. I'm not saying it drives. But it's it. more reaction, yeah. It's more reactionary than driving it. But yeah, no. I, I can see, I can see how that is. Now, the the other thing I want to talk about from these free press uh, profiles of the candidates, uh, and some of this, like Klein, just to touch on the crime stuff, he said it would be ridiculous for mayoral candidates who plan to defund or even freeze the police service budget to actually do so, given the high. Uh, crime rates and inflation. See, there's inflation. <laughs> and it went through some of his other ideas, let sheriff's officers stay with people who are in custody, but he has to ask the province for that. Uh, 
but he spoke about something and these free press articles, you know, you have candidates like Ouellette, uh, who I know personally, I'm friends with him. Uh, and he's, he's, he is the product of very hard work on his own behalf, regardless of, of what you think of his ideas and policies, the modern day came from an impoverished background, served in the military. Uh, uh, he, his ideas are certainly a certain kind of liberalism, uh, but he's a success story. Uh, Glenn Murray for years made hay about being, you know, the, the travails of being a pioneer, a trailblazer in terms of being a young gay male in the 80s and creating awareness of AIDS and programming through clinic. And so he he's portray, always portrayed himself as having had his own uh, uphill battles. But people where you might expect it of somebody like uh, Ouellette, who's of Aboriginal descent, somebody of Glenn Murray, who uh, comes from an era where being uh, being not heterosexual was created challenges in terms of your social and professional life, et cetera, and, and the attitudes were different. But there's a couple of candidates who've also faced obstacles that these free press stories, to my surprise, actually are very, very fairly raised. And it just demonstrates that poverty is not an experience unique to people from, from the backgrounds the media tries to promote as being victimized by these kinds of conditions. For instance, Kevin Klein. Right. Mm -hmm. Raised by a single mom in Calgary who was later murdered by her partner. Moving often, lived in public housing, some apartments as an older teenager. He had a couple of short and I, I'm not clear if this is with his mother. I don't think so, because I think she'd already been murdered. A couple of short term stays in homeless shelters where he had a shack up at the Salvation Army. I could barely sleep the nights I was there because I was afraid it scared the crap out of me. It was packed. I can tell you that, uh, and, and he's Klein is a few years younger than myself, but I can tell you that I stayed one time as I was traveling from in my youth after my father died, and I went to Montreal, and then I went to Ottawa, and then to Toronto, and I was taking the bus, flew, and then took the bus, and this, you know, young and stupid, and I stayed at a, a very famous shelter in Ottawa that was the Old City Jail, spelled with so old it was spelled with a G, right, G A O L. <laughs> so I'm 19 years old, uh, no, as eight. Was I 18 or 19? I was 18 and I was nowhere near the size I am now. I was 145, 155 pounds. And this was a safe place and well run, uh, you know, make your bed in the morning. They feed you breakfast and off you go to your adventures around Ottawa. And I was scared to death and I came for the North End. Oh, wow. And I'm in a place that, you know, had like not security, but they had staff overnight. And I was scared to death. Somebody was going to like, you know, something could happen. So to be in a Salvation Army shelter, and when Klein went through this experience, I'm just going to do some fast Faye Hodgman High School math in my head, 25, 30 years ago, 30, no, 40, 40 yeah, years probably ago. probably 40. Okay, well, 1982, 83, 84, that's not easy for a 17, 18, 19-year-old to be put in that position. It was a couple of times he said he got a job and he got out of it. And... Uh, uh, so there's one example of, and he's not the only candidate who had a, has had a very successful professional life who came from a disadvantaged background and doesn't fit the media's notions and doesn't fit, you know, the, the popular uh, chattering class, you know, the Twitter class, their idea of who a person who has struggled, you know, Clem and Klein wouldn't fit that mold. Jenny Montcluck in her, the profile of Jenny Montcluck, the headline itself goes right to this. Montcluck believes ability to overcome obstacles gave her mayoral cred, a profile that was written very early in the campaign. 
you can tell by the way it's written that it, it refers to she'll be making policy announcements that have been made since. So they held this story forever. Why? I don't know. Uh, and and Joanne Persega of the Free Press uh, in describing Motclick meeting with community groups and uh, uh, talking with people about how they need a lower business tax and the city of Winnipeg needs to help small business more. Uh, and this article says that she's making greater effort compared to her 2019 race where she finished second to Bowman. She's making greater effort to share her background and her priorities uh, before her promises. So her background, Klein had a, a mother, a single mother. She was a nurse in Calgary. They obviously were not well off by any stretch. Uh, and and as I said, the awful, uh, horrific tragedy befell Klein and, I, and his brother. I, I think there was the two kids. Jenny Motkluck spent her, uh, uh, it says, spent her early years in a home on Matheson Avenue in the North End. She grew up across from the Rush Pina Synagogue. Uh, her mom left her father when she was 10. There was six kids. They lost their home in a foreclosure. We were, had this beautiful little life, she says, and then we became dead broke. So she, as the story describes, uh, had a lot of responsibility at a young age, caring for the younger siblings. Uh, and handling the household chores. And she, the story goes, the tough financial times provide her with a unique view on poverty. I know from experience that the solution to homelessness and poverty is housing. It really is. And all the other things people talk about, the wraparound supports are a super good idea, but none of it can really work until you have a roof and a door that locks. And in terms of her own, uh, and now that explains the policy that she's come out with of trying to uh, seize derelict houses and get them fixed up by responsible owners and uh, invent a system where the social work agencies work with these landlords and get homeless people by and large, people in need into these homes where it's freshly fixed and presumably safe and they got to door the locks. That's all very good. Uh, Mockluck understands this. She had, didn't, the student loans didn't cover, she got a degree in molecular biology. So she's, she may be the most educated person in the mayoral race with a degree like that. Yeah. Went to McGill, went to UBC, hadn't paid off her student loans. They tried to hold up her diploma. So instead of having a framed diploma on her wall at home, she has a framed letter saying, pay us the student loan money and we'll give you the your diploma. And she said, screw, <laughs> she said, screw you. Okay. And she's built uh, jobs in biotechnology, information technology, her own consulting uh, firm, Cumula, uh, which uh, is does business consulting. And uh, she acknowledges this to the people struggling today. I'm one of the people who've come through that with a successful and happy life. I wish everyone had the kind of support I did. So here's Klein, here's Mokluk. Both of them have dealt with poverty in their lives and dealt with, with struggling from different circumstances than Glenn Murray, for instance, Robert Falconulet, for instance, but by no means does the fact they're successful, like now people say, oh, they're so successful. Like they don't understand what it's like to struggle and they do. And that's why their ideas um, ha come from a valid place. Uh, just as much, if not more so than the positions of other candidates when it comes to poverty, housing, homelessness, some of these other issues. Yeah, uh, their solutions make more sense than separating I I I haven't heard any mayoral candidate say that they're you know campaign on the separate from the Red River Valley. <laughs> um, one note with her, and then we'll we'll do the we'll do this uh, a bit of a 
a bit of a turn here. Um, uh, no, you know, we'll go to the turn. CBC did a, did a list of all the campaign planks. And I looked at it and I thought it was interesting because like speaking of, of Jenny Mockluck, when you look at these lists, they've cobbled together in different subject headings. And Kenny, I think I sent you the link to this. Yeah. And so, I, and, the, and the headings weren't the same for every candidate. So, uh, for instance, some have CBC has noted for some, for instance, under the heading homelessness, a a policy announcement or a, a platform plank. For instance, for Jenny Monclick, they didn't. Because it seems like the reporter who compiled the list didn't understand that it mentions the seizing derelict housing, but doesn't mention the whole ideal idea of uh, affordable rentals, doesn't mention that that's targeted to getting the homeless off the street. So this list I saw was kind of not I'm not saying it was deliberately like a thumb on the scale or anything, but it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't evenly distributed. So how do I put this? Evenly distributed. It, it it has a kind of a built-in, not bias, but an interpretation. So you end up where what it was arguably the biggest announcement of Montclair's campaign, or the one that's gotten a lot of attention from the community, is this idea of take these the the slums and turn them into safe housing. That's gotten attention. Doesn't get mentioned the CBC roundup. So I did, on a hunch, contact the Gillingham campaign. And ask them if this reflected it, their, the, the platform. If it didn't, I would make sure that we mention it on the air just to test this theory I have. Right. And I'm not saying this is a deliberate like anti-Motkaluk act or any of it was deliberate. It's just they're trying to compile all these different announcements and it based on how smart the reporter is, how good the notes are they're working from internally to figure out which category do you plug things in. In this case, you end up with Motkaluk, for instance, having one, two, three, four, five different announcements under the category arts and culture, leading all the other candidates which would be totally unexpected, <laughs> completely unexpected, right? So the Gillingham campaign said that it, it seemed pretty good. Under homelessness, he also pledged to make one of the existing mayor's office complement, meaning somebody paid out of the mayor's budget, I guess, as a homelessness and street safety advisor to become the point on the issue. That one leapt out, meaning missing from CBC's. So the Gillingham campaign, that somebody in the mayor's office would be assigned to this kind of a file, they thought this was important. CBC didn't mention it. He pledged to be the first mayor to sit on but not chair the police board. We think that makes his crime pledges more real to implement. That's an interesting twist because I think a lot of people, yeah. when they heard that, they thought that he was saying, I'm going to chair the board. Not, oh, I'm going to chair the board, but that that's what he meant. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. didn't catch. I didn't catch. Um, I might have seen it and it didn't register in my head that he doesn't want to chair the police board. Yeah. Um, Although, again, you know what? I'm reading through this note here from Gilliam. They have that one under governance. So you see they took something that was under homelessness. Uh, no, they put that. No, that was homelessness. That was policing. They put it under governance. Um, the neighborhood action teams are more comprehensive and cross-trained than go and look for potholes, but that's a quibble. Overall, I think it gets the flavor. So not an easy job, the Gilliam campaign, for one, saying that they are satisfied with it. Uh, but when it comes to, for instance, Montcalac, the CBC reporter may not have understood that the derelict housing policy was hand in glove with a homelessness policy. And even Tom Broadback noted that that was doable, just not as widely, uh, you, you know, not all 800 properties, 700 properties as Motkalik, you know, basically proposed. But Tom Broadback, for instance, said that was doable. And so that's an example of something that's important to a campaign that CBC just didn't fit in. I don't know where that goes with the other um, other 
candidates in that list, but the list is helpful. And uh, yeah, me... it's super. It's super nice. It's nice for uh, like, it's a nice place to go for like new voters, right? You like... know what? I I just put it into the the link into the link into the um, script. Not yeah. really a script. Our notes for today. Because God knows we never have scripts and we don't, uh, uh, which drives people crazy. It drives people crazy. Imagine me with a script. It would take us four hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I put that link in and we'll direct people over to it. There are some various campaign announcements made this week, and then I want to uh, move along to crime. Um, Robbie Ouellette have a, a lot of proposals about uh, transit, safe, clean, convenient, and affordable. Uh, zero tolerance policy for disruptive, violent and dangerous behavior, including banning persistent problem pastors. I think they already do. I don't know the last time Robbie took a bus. He should. Someone I know took a bus from Cathedral to Portage and Main up Main Street. Ten people got on the bus not paying and five of them were basically troublemakers. I told the story uh, last week, I think, of the young lady who intervened when a Sikh was assaulted on the bus, a Sikh driver being insulted yeah. on the bus. and I mean, for lack of a better term, bullied the the perp off the bus so the nine or 20 people that ran off the bus could run back on. Get um, to work on time. Ouellette wants to hire security guards to ride buses on routes with high rates of incidences. I think Ouellette, and I'm not saying this personally to him. I mean, like, I, I, mean, I could say it personally to him because he's a friend of mine, but I think he needs to hop on a few buses. Okay. Um, and transit ridership is down 14 million. Uh, he wants to bring back the no fair downtown spirit routes so people downtown can rely on it the most. And I personally agree with yeah, that. That's a good idea. That was a stupid idea, canceling the spirit routes. Yeah. And any counselor that supported that should kick themselves in the ass. He wants to bring tap payments. That will be nothing but a disaster. Can you imagine? Oh, my card doesn't work. So that's Don't even all... worse than the that's even worse than people digging in their purses, pretending they have another loony. Like, I thought they already have like the cards that you can tap already. I think those are are like laundry cards, Kenny, not bank cards. Where They're like transit the card. cards. They're like transit yeah, cards. Lo- yeah. You yeah, load yeah. the card and then you can tap it. But the idea of uh debit, credit card, or phone options, I that's gonna put the drivers in a tough spot. Listen, uh, if the people at Tim Hortons can figure it out, I'm sure the people on the transit can the figure it out. The people at Tim Hortons are not holding up a bus with 20 people. No, but they're holding and up what a 50-person line. What do you do line. when somebody's car doesn't work? Do you let them on or throw them off? What do you do with people that you know are faking it? You let them go to the back of the line, and you let the other people do the thing, and then let them try again. And what happens it's when the, it doesn't work, Kenny? Do you leave them behind? Or do it's you the same way, on? same thing that happens with the people with no fare. Do you let them on or, or not? I you mean, should I be letting the them on discussion. unless it's 30 below. You should not be letting them on because you have hundreds, thousands of transit users who go to work. The buses are late because of a lot of these shenanigans and stupidity, as we described last week. And then they're paying and other people are riding the bus and not paying. I, I We mentioned earlier in another podcast, Kenny, you got uh, partiers who go to the bars downtown, hop on the bus, having perhaps spent all their money or not spent all their money at, at the bars downtown <laughs> at the clubs and they hop on the bus to get a free ride home now on the one end yeah it is safer okay these the band, you know these you know cliques of chicks that want to do that I, I i i see the one side but they have money the girls who've worked uh, and not just girls who've worked at their shift at mcdonald's their shift 
in 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 uh, at a telecom place. Tim Hortons, A and W. Tim Hortons at Home Care. Uh, MPI downtown. They're paying their money to ride the bus. Somebody goes out to the bars downtown, doesn't pay to go home. Anyways, Ulette says riders under but 17 it, Marty, ride for free. It could be their birthday. And as you know, you get free stuff on your birthday, and you, people don't. Uh, you, know, you don't have to follow be, any laws on your birthday. We know this, see, Marty. Ulette did not propose that one. Maybe he should have. He did propose a buck a fair ride. I, that's. I, uh, I, I, I don't know where the numbers are, uh, but he he says there would be a decrease in revenue of twenty percent from twelve million for the fare change. I don't. How is that only twenty percent if you're dropping it from yeah. three ten to a to a buck? How does that drop revenue? Maybe he meant certain times of the day would be a buck. I don't know. Uh, anyways, so that's some of the announcements. Solar buses. That he, buses that use solar energy. That's that's no, because it's from the fare change. The, the, the measure is from the fair change, how much less money would be coming in, not right. savings, not overall loss of the system. Uh, Ulet saying we can't speed up the bankrupt the city to speed up the transit master plan. If we want more people to get on the bus, we have to stop making it so hard to catch a bus or even pay for a fare once we're on board. Uh, OK, uh, a couple other announcements here from this past week while I'm on it. Uh, Klein recognizing people are two paychecks away from being homeless. At least he puts it in plain language. Uh, I mean, yep. <laughs> yelling Gillingham will propose, is proposing a homelessness plan that will not benefit us until 2025 at best. As Bowman's finance chair, he said, had several years to do something but failed. As mayor, Klein said, we will purchase accommodation players, which trailers, which can be used to house people. House people. Let me try that again. House people. He wants the city to provide land for the trailers and ask the feds to provide the funding. And CMHC can co- has a co-investment fund. This already this is already a big stretch. And the first problem is trailers are not necessarily properly insulated when you buy them or pick them up secondhand. These are not necessarily insulated for Winnipeg winters. Yeah. If you're going to put them somewhere, I don't know where these are going to be put, where the plumbing, the electrical hookups, uh, who's going to clear the snow so people can walk to and from their their trailer to catch a bus to go buy groceries. I, I, I don't get how that's supposed to work. Um, yeah, and, and, and like, it doesn't work without a lot of substantial cooperation from from other, uh, you know, from 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 other governments. So it doesn't quite work so smoothly. And if something breaks on a trailer, like who fixes it? Is it an insurance thing, or do you got to do it yourself? Trailers are very sticky. Well, okay, so if the ownership rests with the city and they're renting these to homeless people, they're getting the welfare rate plus rent assist is seven hundred. A month, CMHC. I don't. I mean, this. There's a term in the car business, Kenny, for trying to, you know, somebody has a trade-in and they want to buy another car and it doesn't pencil. I don't see how Klein's proposal pencils. It's a nice idea, but, yeah, it is, but how many trailers are there on the market? And that's one thing that was missing for the announcement. Maybe he was asked at a press conference and I, I didn't see it. But how many trailers does he think are on the market? Like how many, how many people would this get off the streets? And the other thing is. Um, Putting people in a trailer, uh, I, I've had to clear out trailers of squatters uh, in different circumstances. And it, it, it's, does, if, there, if something goes sideways with the tenant, it, it's, it's the epitome of hoarding some of these, what happens. And I don't know if you've ever been inside a trailer where a hoarder has been, but uh-huh. Kenny, it's awful. 
Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's self-contained, but it's still awful. And getting it out the one door, like, you know, it's... Oh, oh it's a little door. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. On top of everything else, a little door. Um, uh, now, uh, now, now, for instance, uh, uh, Glen Marine, I don't think had any property, uh, property, any policy announcements off the top of my head last week because uh, CBC, Bartley Kivas, did a great job with that story in putting together what happened to the Pemmon Institute, talking with people, sources were named, they came forward, they put their faces on TV about their experiences, not just the personal experiences, but ha- having secret meetings, not taking briefings, who knows what he's promising people in these meetings. Uh, and they gave Glenn Murray a week to answer it. I don't recall that he made a policy announcement earlier in the week, but he had a week. So he knew from not Thursday, he knew like a week before Thursday and certainly all from like, like Monday on, he knew that CBC was giving him a chance to go on the record about the allegations of his personal behavior towards other employees, about uh, like bullying, uh, about uh, not maintaining privacy. These are all, you know, alarm bells, especially for the, the in the modern era. You know, like huge how, red flags, huge red flags. I, yeah, and as I said, I don't understand the culture in these environmental think. It turns out it's an environmental think tank is what they prefer to be called. But these this climate culture, I don't understand what the mentality is that that they let this go on and didn't immediately immediately take action, whether to get Glenn Murray, uh, direct Glenn Murray to get help he may need. I'm trying to be as neutral as possible in how I put this. Uh, but he didn't deny it. I mean, he didn't deny that he had drunken antics, but Glenn Murray does seem to be the only person on earth who says, you know, I was thinking, and he literally said, I've been going over in my mind everything, and I just can't remember I can't remember where there was a, he's the only person on earth who, who, you know, gets drunk. Can't remember what he did when he was drunk. And, and, and like, like, um, like principal Skinner, for it? like, like principal Skinner says, well, I, I don't remember it. So it must not have happened. Nope. It's not me. It's, <laughs> who, it's a perfect Skinner moment. Right. I just don't get who supports Glenn Murray. Like what, what segment of the population supports Glenn Murray. Well, the, the Murray campaign would tell you that he has support from across the political spectrum, that there are conservatives on his uh, campaign, on his campaign team and supporting his campaign, that there are uh, PPC members supporting him, which surprises me. I'm not saying it's yeah, not but true. We but we know they would... don't make the best choices, Marty. I, I mean, I, the I, colors I, they use is just uh, a horrid. <laughs> Uh, certainly NDPers <laughs> and certainly liberals. We've seen from the surveys, 53% of identified liberal party supporters, I guess it is, support Glenn Murray, according to one of these earlier polls. I think this is a pro poll. Uh, 35% of new Democrats uh, support Glenn Murray. So these are the kinds of people that support him. The question is, who's going to support him uh, when he's run a campaign that does not necessarily, I mean, it's a lot of pie in the sky stuff. A lot of it is recycled from the 90s. A lot of people who remember Glenn Murray from the 90s want nothing to do with him. Uh, this report from Pemmon Institute reminds yeah, that, people that's of the that's the fact that is 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 his burden right now is the few people that remember remember him don't want him back. And people that remember him have those doubts about his behavior, about his personality, because again, uh, Tom Broadbeck uh, wrote a column uh, rejecting his apology. And and went chapter and verse on him and trying to intimidate the police chief, trying to intimidate a cop that gave them a ticket when they turned on to Donald from Portage, uh, uh, intimidating Harry Lazarenko 
which I missed at the time it happened because I was on the West Coast. And and so I only learned of this more recently in the last few months wow. that he threatened to bury Harry Lazarenko with complaints, which is exactly what he sounded like he was doing <laughs> with the mayor of Caledon in Ontario. I've got complaints and yeah, you'll never get out. So <laughs> he has a base of support and, and it's partly people that that look look back at when he was elected. And there's a lot of optimism. OK, it's the, it's uh, the same old Glenn, no matter where you go. Like he That's, does the exact same things you, everywhere you, he goes. I believe it was the mayor of Caledon in her interview with Kivas on CBC. I believe it was Marilyn Morrison who said a leopard doesn't change his stripes. Yeah. Uh, Kenny, I want to talk about. Oh, wait, uh, just to probably take the a break. And then... The policy stuff. Let me let me finish that. So okay. uh, I've gone. I've given you a sample of, of Gillingham uh, Ouellette Klein. Uh, Mark Luck, having put out a lot of her policy, hardcore policy earlier this past week, focused on this accumulation of things that came under the category of arts and culture, uh, guaranteeing funding for the uh, Pride Parade, for the uh, Santa Claus Parade, the annual Sikh Festival Parade and the Filipino Parade. Uh, and the idea being that if they have uh, 30 or 40 or 50 thousand dollars to hire a coordinator, they'll be better able to do their fundraising and do outreach to the community and, and that there's economic returns spin-off benefits from these festivals, these parades, you know, whether it's uh, food suppliers, uh, tables, chairs, you name it. Uh, so that was one of her announcements. Um, That's good. Uh, That's nice. It, Those things need help. Like the Santa Claus parade definitely needs help. It's been going on A lot of people don't believe that, Kenny, and I was really surprised that they don't realize. Um, oh, man, it used to be awesome. And it's a lot less awesome, and she wants it to be awesome. It's and she wants, awesome. she wants more parades, more festivals in the city, more civic spirit, I guess, it would be a way to describe it. That includes, like if you're going to shut down the streets, let's make it awesome. That includes cruise nights. Uh, yeah. She she did uh, she supports putting wrestling back in community centers, and I freely admit that I have lobbied many people over the years. I did not lobby Jenny Modkluck. Uh, uh, her she's her campaign has been aware of this from when we first when I first dealt with this years ago, five years ago. Uh, with the city of Winnipeg and being told they they've uh, the bottom line is that they have a they demand a kind of insurance that doesn't exist and they put the onus on wrestlers not the promoters not the venues the wrestlers individually such as myself I still wrestle once or twice a year the, the, uh, for a form of liability insurance that the insurance industry doesn't offer because it's ridiculous there's no insurance on earth to insure a wrestler against hurting an opponent or hurting a, a fellow competitor. Uh, there, there's uh, or being hurt so yourself they, that does that does there might exist somewhere in the states some kind of personal liability health thing but this doesn't exist so there's, the city invents a rule that, well you know you don't want to have wrestling and you know we i know you want to be in the community centers or you know st james civic center or like a city building well you can't get that insurance well talk to the insurance industry it's not our fault we require it screw off you bunch of if you're allowed to have MMA in the city, you should be allowed to have wrestling. Uh, you know, wrestling is a lot more it, safe than MMA. It, it would be interesting if MMA was held in, say, the renovated St. James Civic Center. I, my guess is they wouldn't allow it because of this this bizarre insurance requirement. Probably, even though wrestling is, there is no intent to injure, and MMA there is. Anyways, so yeah, they're, they're, the announcement that to allow wrestling, as, as CBC put it, allow wrestling performances in community centers, um, I, I, I can tell you that that CWE <laughs> as one promotion and there are other promotions in the city that I've worked for over the past uh, worked with over the past 10 years. They would have had shows in community centers 
which is how Kenny Omega started. Chris Jericho started. Chichi Cruz yeah. started. Everybody started off in front of those family audiences. And then you learn to work in bars to have matches in bars because that's a different crowd. You learn to go for those other crowd reactions. But ultimately, you do not want a wrestler to think it's a good idea to, like, kick somebody in the nuts. That's Wait, something what? you can do it in front of an adult crowd. But in front of a community center crowd, you don't want to do that in front of kids. So you're saying that's why my wrestling career never took off. It's because it kept kicking everyone in the nuts. Yes, your finishing move was like, just not going to get I called it the Bobby nuts. Hill. <laughs> yes. That's the Bob- my purse. Bobby. <laughs> the Bobby Hill. So the contrast of those hard policy announcements uh, this week, uh, this past week, Jenny Modclick uh, focused more on community spirit uh, type things, uh, uh, arts and festival funding, uh, and uh, things along, uh, along uh, those lines. Uh, and uh, and so you end up with uh, with this sense that uh, these campaigns have tried to touch on many things. The candidates come from different backgrounds, but many of them have suffered uh, poverty. They've suffered severe challenges. They've suffered hunger. They have suffered homelessness. They have suffered. Cha- One thing I can tell you that I've never heard really that Brian Bowman ever had was a challenged life. I stand he, he had all, he remember when they overbought that one thing and they sold it to their friends and they had a a good chuckle. Uh, I I don't remember what you're talking about. I wish don't I remember that story. That was like one of their stories they had that they had they had a, a they overbought story? some sort of yeah Brian Bowen overbought a bunch of product and they had to sell it to their friends over the a year or something like that. <laughs> you don't you don't remember that story? Oh. No, but I don't know how that caused the hardship except I guess he you know That's shorted himself. Hardship. Had to he had to sell this product that they overbought to all their friends and family. So he so he so he shorted so he shorted himself. Okay, that happens. Anyways, uh, Kenny, I know we've park gone, in their garage for a while. Kenny, I I know we've gone way <laughs> long, but I want to touch on crime. Uh, can we? Well, yeah, is let's it hit okay? a break. And we're gonna hit it, folks. We're just gonna hit a break. You know what it's about. If you find value in this, you find value in these recaps. If this is the kind of thing you've been able to share with people who want to know where the candidates stand, what the real stories are. Get something that isn't from mainstream media. Get a recap of what mainstream media is doing right or wrong, what the candidates are doing right or wrong. Then if this is contributing to your ability to process the 2022 civic election, to get more people involved, which is ultimately our goal, whether they're as candidates or especially to get them to the ballot, to the ballot box, then you'll hear the pitch. You can look in the episode description. Uh, your support is appreciated, and it uh, it just makes sure that we can cover this, follow this, try to meet with candidates, try to get to campaign events, uh, and we got like three weeks to go. And so there, there's the pitch. You'll hear the pitch right now in my dulcet tones, back with a crime roundup and how it relates to City Hall right after this. There'll be more of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast in just a moment. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast, for listening to all our podcasts. Your feedback, your questions, your news tips, this helps improve our citizen journalism. We're going to keep talking to the candidates directly, and you'll be able to hear their answers to what their background is and what they see for the future of our city. We rely and depend on your support. You can go to the PayPal link at the bottom of the episode description, or if you want to make a donation, if you want to sponsor the podcast, the City Circus TV show, the our columns on Wham.Live, then you can email me directly, and whether it's... $10 or $100, whether it's more or less, it all goes towards making sure we can bring you the best possible coverage that you won't get from corporate media. 
so that you can make the best choice possible at the ballot box in this election, you can email me, martygoldlive at gmail.com. Uh, back to essentially wrap up the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, episode number 20. Uh, not 21. And, uh, pardon me? Not, not, tw- no, we're not, not 21. No, Kenny, not 21. Uh, we've we've developed a pattern here where we we cover crime and then relate it back to city hall because on the great canadian talk show on kick fm uh the crime beat was was the thing that defined us on radio besides having actual open line radio and talk shows and extended interviews but we focused on crime because it was such a big issue lack of public safety uh going back to when we came on the air and the very first thing we covered 101 marion overrun with criminals drug addicts meth heads the and it's Manitoba housing. The people that live there were terrified, terrified, literally terrified to open their doors, housing not responding appropriately. Scheduled Danny Vandell, who was at the city council of St. Boniface. He didn't make the interview, didn't call in or whatever it was. And then we found out like literally the next day, our third day, second, third day on the air in the first week, that Danny Vandell was out drinking with some some people like having a few cocktails at dinner time, <laughs> laughing about how he managed to duck the show. I'm not uh... saying this to make fun of Danny Vandell. I'm just pointing out we've covered this always. Danny Vandell has been more than generous since then with his time, but he heard what we were up to. He heard that this was radio that demanded accountability, that this was the mandate Rick Baverstock gave us on Kick FM. He didn't want any part of it that week at that time as a city councillor. Uh, I'm just reminding you that we've always been on this and we've not picked favorites. Anybody, whether it was Sam Cates, Danny Vandell, uh, we even got, um, uh, what's it, Justin Swandell on the air. Uh, when we were oh, hammering yeah. on derelict housing and we were the yeah. only media outlet hammering on derelict housing when young Josh did his documentary for his uh, uh, course for his Red River College course. Oh, he did such a dynamite job with that. Like, that's still online and it's still true today. Right. I mean, the city's got, got like 800 properties that are derelict. So and this contributes to crime, which brings back to crime. OK, <laughs> crime this week. What's going on in the city of Winnipeg? Police charge suspect in 69 break ins. 35 year old. Search warrant for a suite on Stradbrook. They seized $35,000 worth of tools, bicycles, wallets, various stolen identity documents, and shotgun ammunition. Kenny, oh. do you have $35,000 worth of stuff in your place? Um, no. Not my, not my CD collection, that's for sure. 12 homes, garages, 12 vehicles broken into between January and September of this year. A dozen Southwest Winnipeg residents targeted. So Southwest Winnipeg is like Bridgewater as well as properties in the southeast, uh, Sage Creek, and yeah, William White neighborhoods. My tools. Yes, William White neighborhood, the core area, the north end. Uh, numerous wallets containing identification and bank cards taken from vehicles. Who leaves their wallet with their bank card in their car? Yeah, especially nowadays. That's um, Like you're, ever. You're asking for it. Yeah, well, anyways, Dustin Dean Zorn was asking for it. 35-year-old charged with 69 break-and-enders. He remains in custody. 69. Now, you'd think, I'm just going to relate this back to Chief Danny Smythe for a minute. You'd think if you had detectives in the district stations that people on the ground where the crimes are occurring might have been able to figure out a bit of a pattern and figure out that it was this guy. But credit to the police, they've apprehended him and it appears they've got the right guy. Um, That's good. Handgun. (laughs) Pardon me, Ken? I said that's good. It's good they got the right guy. Hopefully. I don't think they got the wrong guy because all the stuff was in this guy's suite. So if it's not him doing it, he's an accomplice after the fact. Or he's a, a pretty bad hoarder. 
but not homeless. A handgun <laughs> and $8,600 in drugs, $8,600 in drugs, seized from a vehicle searched on Burroughs on September 29th. That was Thursday. At midnight, so it's Wednesday night into Thursday, they saw a vehicle. Kenny, you ready for this? Unmatched license plates. So the front license plate was different from the back license plate? Yeah, and license I, plate I'm kind of surprised. A different vehicle? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised the police caught that because they're on Burroughs and it's divided by a boulevard. So they probably saw the plate. I don't know if they were behind it. How do they know the... I mean, if they're behind it, the plate isn't good. They pull them over. So they had to see it from the other direction or maybe the vehicle or, turned yeah. in front of them to go on Burroughs. They ran that num- that plate number. Uh, somehow they caught on. The plates weren't the same. Performed the traffic stop at the 700 Maybe block. they were for a different vehicle. Well, they were for a different vehicle. That's the point. One yeah. of the plates was, if not both. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm thinking. Maybe that was for like a, a but, Tran- but they had Trans AM. To, but Kenny, the car wasn't parked, so they had to see the front and the back. I'm just trying to visualize how they managed to do that. No, no. What I'm saying is that the plates were for a different car, but they were on. They weren't on the car they were registered for. Th- that no, we know that that's what it means when it says unmatched license plates. We know one of them at least is not the legal plate for the car. But yeah. how did the police see both the front and the back of the car at the same time? They didn't. So they had to see the front because it says they saw a vehicle with unmatched plates and then performed the traffic stop. So this car must have come out from a side street. Maybe the cops came from a side street and saw this car turn in front of them, run the first plate, go, oh, wait a second. Look at that plate yeah. on the, the, that we're following now. They pull them over center block of bros, whatever. This is around seven block McKenzie. Saw two occupants and signs indicative of drug trafficking. They seized a loaded Sig Sauer, 22 caliber handgun, four ounces of cocaine, estimated street value $2,000. So we now know that an ounce of cocaine is estimated $2,000. Or which I thought it was. No, that's probably what it is nowadays. One With inflation. Of, <laughs> no, actually not inflation, actually. Uh, no. One ounce of meth, Jeez. estimated street value $600, cell phones, a scale, packaging material. Ruben Reimer of Gretner, Manitoba, 51-year-old is in charge with carry concealed weapon, prohibited device or ammunition, unauthorized possession of a firearm, possession of firearm in a motor vehicle, restricted firearm, blah, 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 possession of cocaine, wow. possession meth, possession proceeds obtained by crime under $5,000. The other charged, Tiffany Mary Lee Antoine, 35 of Rosa River, Manitoba. So here we see two people from outside of Winnipeg coming into Winnipeg, trafficking drugs, seemingly trafficking or trading in firearms, ammunition, et cetera, et cetera, uh, failed to comply. Oh, for Madame Antoine, failed to comply, failed to comply with conditions of an undertaking times two. So here's Ooh. criminals from outside of Winnipeg coming into Winnipeg to uh, victimize our population. The handgun, investigators learned, was one of 13 firearms reported stolen from a residential break and enter in the 300 block of Burroughs in June of 2021. Wow. That's crazy. Here's another case. This is on the same day, September 29th. Yeah, because they pulled them over. Basically, they started on the Wednesday into the Thursday. Same earlier that day, it turns out. September uh, September 29th, 3.34 a.m. 4 a.m. Shooting on Sherbrooke Street. Injured male <laughs> in his 50s outside a residential building. A group had forced their way into a suite when the victim was sprayed with bear spray and shot. Oh, wow. An hour later, 4.38 a.m., members of the police service responded to the first hundred block of West Grove Way. Okay, so West Grove Way, for those of you who don't know, Dale Boulevard, the last street before you get to the perimeter going west. Yeah, that's where it is. It's out there. That's, yeah, that's, that's uh, by the 7-Eleven and across from the hotel, right? And I'm pretty yeah. sure that that's uh, Manitoba There's House. There's a community center there. There's a pool there. Yep. 
Report of a male armed with a firearm bear spray discharged inside the house. Numerous people, including several small children affected by the bear spray. Bear spray. A group had forced their way into the residence when a female victim in her 30s, probably the mother, maybe the mother of these small children or some of them, had a firearm pointed at her and a demand was made for her property. Oh, wow. At 6.40 a.m., officers still on the scene. Of, so they're there for two hours. Screaming kids, screaming woman. Yeah. They're still on the scene. There's a male suspect in the area and nabbed him. Damien James Todd, T.O.D., an 18-year-old. All sorts of stuff. Break and enter with intent dwelling house. Unauthorized unauthorized possession of a firearm in a motor vehicle. So they they didn't pull him over in the car. They must have seen him near a car, getting in or out of a car, and searched the car, I guess. Now, all this leads to what we learned today as we record this. Two more murders. We're up to 40. Wow. On... Friday at 8.23 a.m. No, sorry, my mistake. No, Friday, 8.23 a.m. Members of the police service go to the 500 block of Balmoral. Suspicious circumstances reported. Deceased male outside a residence. Deceased victim, a 16-year-old male of Winnipeg. 500 block Balmoral is uh, almost certainly on the west side of the street between Sargent and Ellis. It might be. It might be between Sargent and Cumberland, but I, I'm not, I don't recall offhand if the 500, like high 500s, like 580, 590, actually probably does. So this might be between Sargent and Cumberland, but it's certainly between Ellis and Cumberland. That's my point. 16-year-old male, 8 in the morning. He may have been laying there all day, all night, right? On October 2nd, a Sunday morning at 7.56 a.m., a deceased male reported at the Health Sciences Center with suspicious injuries. The male had been transported to the hospital by ambulance after a bystander found him unresponsive on the ground at 6.45 a.m. near Sherbrooke and Cumberland. So we're up to 40 homicides, Kenny. That's like one a week, a little more than one a week. Brian Bowman's Winnipeg, Danny Smythe's Winnipeg. And the other thing is something that any detective can tell you. Obviously, this area in the... It's core area, but it's sort of the beginnings of the West End. You know what I mean? Like from Sherbrooke coming back towards downtown. Obviously, this has become this area has become a funnel for crime because we heard about assaults on Cumberland earlier this summer. And so this area around Cumberland now is and I, none of the mayoral candidates have addressed the specifics of inner city crime because it has spread all over the city. But when you've got how many teenagers charged this year in murders, and I, you know, if if we hear that a teenagers are charged or suspected of the murder of the 16 year old, would we be surprised? No, but I, we won't be surprised by anything. That's it's so sad though. A 16 year old in broad date like. In the morning. Well, I, who know, I think that was an overnight thing and the body was left there. Yeah. But the body was found in broad daylight. That's awful for the people that found it. So, again, there's the ripple effects, the families that are affected, the neighbors that are affected, the people that see it. And you, and there's effects on the emergency crews, the ambulance crews, the police, dead body, 16-year-old dead body. Ugh. Nobody wants to see that. No. But that's the state of this city now. This isn't where we're talking about 18 murders or 22 murders. We're up to 40. And so the cha- uh, this has been a theme we've pounded throughout the campaign in terms of making the city safe. 
I can't say one thing we never hear about, and I know that there was talk about this and that the reporting was being suppressed, is uh, deaths of homeless people. Hmm. And that not too many of these murders, not too many dead bodies are reported of homeless people. And there was a theory that the city, and this goes back a couple of winters, was finding ways of hiding when homeless individuals were found like frozen in a snowbank, for instance, that they were hiding those statistics, like recategorizing what went on so that it wouldn't be, so that the degree of problems being, being not just experienced by homeless people, the city is suffering because of this and people are dying because of it. And the city was doing everything they could to, you know, hide this. Here's the 16 year old and this that's other pretty fellow. that's pretty ghoulish if that's true. That's oh, I have no doubt that it, you know what? It was Nancy. Nancy, was it Nancy Clippendale was her name? I think that was all over this issue of when they would find a body in a in a bus shelter and they wouldn't frozen to death and they weren't refo- reporting it as a they weren't like announcing it, like telling people. And I, Nancy was pretty over the top with with her enthusiasm for the subject at hand. And her dedication to it, but uh, and I, I, I'm, I believe me, nobody's trying to misstate something. I, I know, I'm sure it was her. I know it was her. Um, so imagine if these, how many of these homicides are like homeless people? And what I'm saying is, if none of them are, uh, and and a couple of the ones around Main Street might have been, but I don't think we heard that. If none of them are, then this may be worse than we think. Yeah, there's that serial murderer that was targeting homeless people a couple of years ago. Like, if they are hiding the stats of how people died, I mean. But it's 40 is out of control. Some of it is linked to homelessness. But how many of the perps are homeless people that are like there? Maybe there's I mean, thefts and burglaries. But how many murders are connected to homeless people? Whether you're I homeless think, or not, you shouldn't. Yes, I don't. I don't think I don't think that many. And so this crime problem on the boards, still on the board, still something the candidates have to convince the voters that they are going to deal with, deal with effectively, whether it's as Motklick has said, firing Danny Smythe, whether it's as Rick Schoen has said, get on the police board and force him out. Gillingham seems to love Danny Smythe. Marcus Chambers, Council Chambers, supporter of uh, of Gillingham, totally supports him. So again, that goes back to where people don't want to criticize things because Winnipeg's too small and, and you know, the person you criticize today, you end up needing favor from tomorrow. But here you see where Gillingham and, and uh, Chambers, you know, is support. And I presume other of his supporters, they don't want to say anything bad about Danny Smythe. You know who else doesn't want to say anything bad about Danny Smythe? Brian Bowman. And look where that's gotten us. Well, I'm sure those two aren't friends. There's no way they're friends. Who, Smythe and Bowman? Yeah. Well, I don't know that they were ever friends to begin with. I'd never heard that they had a, any kind of personal relationship. Are you saying they're cordial? I'm sure they're cordial with each other. Well, I'm I mean, sure. They're, they're politicians. I'm sure that they, they I am. Be, listen, listen, Kenny. Kenny, listen to me. I am sure the day has not come when Brian Bowman did what you're about to hear me do on my Zeta's desk. Hammer the desk with his fist and demand results. <laughs> and my guess is that people in Winnipeg were concerned about crime, the crime rate, the murders, the violence, the machetes, the bear spray, the unsafe buses, the unsafe transit, the unsafe parks, the need, and, and, you know, everything goes along with that. I'm pretty sure that a candidate who says, I will hammer my fist on the desk, 
and demand results from the police chief, whether Danny Smith or somebody else, those candidates are probably going to be looked at more favorably than candidates like, for instance, Gillingham or Glenn Murray that have been less direct if they've had any criticism at all of Chief Danny Smythe that have been less direct in their criticism of the police leadership. I think that this is going to get the attention of voters, that the promise to do that is going to get the attention of voters in dealing with crime more than we're going to spend money on this and we're going to reallocate the, we're going to reallocate uh, you know bodies from here and there, although some some reallocation of resources in terms of uh, putting more cops where they can can be more effective, uh, you know, uh, probably be a good idea to to have another discussion with the union about uh, about cruisers about mandating you know two two car cruisers and getting more cops you know out on the street and out on the beat so to speak. Anyways. Uh, Crime is not going to go away. It is going to continue to be a major issue. And the candidates are, in my estimation, they're going to get separated on a couple of different factors in this election. One is fiscal policy, certainly economics, because inflation is becoming an issue for people. And the more expensive living in the city gets, the less money they have for them for themselves and their families. That's one thing. And uh, uh, certainly crime. And again, the, the dealing with homelessness and housing and derelict housing, those are are major issues and i think electrification of the buses is pretty low down the totem pole you know yeah uh heat pumps uh which is uh uh loney's idea of heat pumps except that's that's a fool's game it's a fool's game in this climate it does it will not work it does not work it is not sound economic policy for maybe good policy if you're connected with that industry but it is not good policy for the average homeowner because you don't pay off the pump till like 18 oh, years the, in the geothermal heat pumps. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure that, yeah, the problem with that is the toxic water that's in the ground. Oh, the saline in the water. Uh, yeah. And it's I don't lit- know. If it's literally poisonous. I don't know if they've come up with any technology in the last few years to counteract the salinity issue. I remember that because I think that's why, was that not why Waverly West didn't become, didn't end up being the, geothermal that gary Dewar promised yeah was because why. the groundwater was I, I i don't want to say the groundwater was contaminated but it's a contaminant yeah no like it, it's toxic yeah to do geothermal properly you have to go uh like more vertical or right. more so, horizontal than vertical right yeah spread out more so yeah yeah it needs more square really footage viable. out of the property like five thousand square feet or something so uh, well, you know you got these pie in the sky ideas electrifying buses and geo and and heat pumps and that that come from the left-wing candidates quite frankly uh, and, uh, I, you know, I don't know that Rob Ulett saying he's going to move the mayor's office in a Thunderbird house is going to move a single vote in his direction. Uh, but, you know, pronouncements on crime, pronouncements on public safety, pronouncements on on uh, uh, what do they call kitchen table issues, pocketbook issues. I think that that's increasingly going to be the focus in the last three weeks of the campaign. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. OK, it, we've been plenty long. Uh, uh, we appreciate your patience. We're trying to – we don't do any rehearsals on this. We've talked for five minutes, and then we leap into it. Uh, we've given you lots to talk about, lots to reflect about, including the concept of what happens if Winnipeg keeps going in this direction, and maybe St. Boniface or St. James are two and River, River, River Heights, the bellwethers, uh, so to speak, of, of, of the city, that they're affected. You know, those wards, those ridings, that's the, you know, that's the middle class. 
And and if they're dissatisfied, what happens to the ones that could separate? Like say Transcona on the outskirts. Maybe there's areas. The I mean, I don't think it's practical for the Maples in West Kildonan, but they used to be their own township. What happens if this picks up steam? This idea of what are we members of the city of Winnipeg for when they won't solve crime, the roads are crumbling, and and, and our taxes keep going up. And this election may lead to to a serious discussion. If we're going to talk about the charter, the city of Winnipeg charter of that provincial act, there may have to be a reexamination of the concept of Unicity as a whole, uh, that this this campaign might be a precursor to that being in Winnipeg's future. I hope not, because it's silly, because it doesn't solve anything. It's, it's like talking about like fairies and, and rainbows. Solve something for Headingley. Did it? Place is booming. Is it? Yep. Booming. <laughs> booming. Booming. Housing jobs uh they've had some improvements to the to the roads out there in the last while it it, for headingly it's worked i'm not saying it works for every neighborhood and and it it is an exceptional example because of of the geography involved uh but anyways lots for you to think about lots for you to talk about please share this podcast if if this is helpful to you then drop me a line or use uh as and a thanks to the uh thanks to uh, people who are supporting us and who have been supportive. It's not all, sometimes you get it, uh, you know, Kenny, as you know, sometimes you get a Tim's gift card and you need that ice cap at four in the morning. Oh yeah. So it, every little bit helps. We appreciate that. We're doing our part. And, and I will say this, the media coverage, some of it's been good. Most of it has been lacking. You've got a lot of reporters who don't have the kind of experience that Kenny and I have. And Kenny by no means is a reporter. He's a commentator. Yeah. Uh, I do have a background in reporting. But we are doing everything we can to enhance coverage of this election, to enhance people's awareness of the platforms, and uh, whether it's the so-called frontrunners or the ones whose names don't get mentioned about where they're, where, what's going on with the polling, what are their ideas? What are they offering the public? What is it going to cost the public? What is it going to solve for, for the voters? What is it going to, how is it going to make life easier or harder for you and your family? That's what we're focused on here. Uh, with this podcast and we will be we'll see if there's a midweek one we'll see uh i mean i mean the weeks you don't promise it are the ones that happens then when you try to say maybe there's a midweek one it never happens you're right so we don't know we'll see if there's reason for one i will get it out kenny will do the production uh work on it we will get out uh, this one last one was really successful oh yeah Uh, Yeah. and 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 it's partly because it worked because it's 16 minutes long and you know honestly it's hard to come up with a punchier headline to CBC spoil Glenn Murray's birthday. <laughs> I've lucked into that. I love he- I love doing funny head fun headlines and funny headlines and good headlines. That was one of them. Uh, we'll see if there's a midweek, but uh, next week after Yom Kippur, <laughs> after Yom Kippur, back and and heading into Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, another podcast as we uh, continue to march towards Election Day, October 26th. Glenn Murray's birthday uh, here on the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast on behalf of Spirit of Kenny. Thank you for listening. And remember, as always, you have the power. Thanks for listening to the Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty, send it to TGCTS1 at gmail.com or follow him on Twitter at TGCTS1.